welcome to Saltier Politics. Julie, this week, let's start out with the most important thing that happened, which I would say is you making tiramisu. So no, the most important thing that happened is that we're finally doing this pod in person for the first time in five months, six months. You're back from Florida, which is amazing. This is pretty fantastic because I can actually see you and I'm eating the tiramisu that you made and I'm drinking your whiskey. So You are. Because you told me how much you love tiramisu, I decided to make a tiramisu cake, which will never, ever, ever be repeated again because it took me five hours. I was like making four or five different cakes and combining it, combining it into one. It is a welcome home gift to you. You're going home with it because I think you will agree that it's about 10,000 calories a slice. And I have your Johnny Walker Black here that I've been saving for you. And so we're having drinks. I'm drinking my Tito's and soda. You're drinking your Johnny Walker Black. It's four o'clock in the afternoon. This um, is the first bit of normalcy I've felt in a very long time. I know. And unfortunately, I have to go pick up my child from camp soon. But until then, so let's let's, let's, let's drink and eat. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and get salty. All right. So let's jump right into our new vice president, potentially. Kamala Harris. That makes her the first black woman and the first South Asian woman to be on a major party ticket as vice president. I would just like to note, Glad gave these facts and I didn't know all the details of how big of an LGBTQ advocate she was. As district attorney, she established an LGBTQ hate crimes unit. She refused to defend California's Prop 8. She introduced legislation to ensure LGBTQ Americans are counted on the census. She introduced a bill in the Senate to ban the use of gay trans panic defense, which if you remember, that's what we talked about. The one that defined by the LGBTQ bar as a legal strategy, which asks a jury to find that a victim's sexual orientation or gender identity is to blame for the defendant's violent reaction, including murder. And then she also released a plan as a presidential candidate to repeal Trump's anti-LGBTQ orders. She's done a lot of other great things, but it makes me the opposite of salty to see her on the ticket. Julie, what is your two cents? First and foremost, I am thrilled that there's a woman on the ticket. Secondly, as we've talked about repeatedly, I'm beyond thrilled there's a woman of color on the ticket because as I keep saying, the Democratic Party has not won an election to the White House with a majority of the white vote since Lyndon Johnson. I don't know if people know that. It is communities of color that have put Democrats over the top. And what's interesting about that is that you have African-American women, and she is half African-American, who are the backbone of the Democratic Party. But what I think people don't realize is she's also a first-generation Asian Indian. Her mother is from India. Asian Indians deliver 84% of their vote to Hillary Clinton. There's no racial demographic, and I don't mean to make this just about race because obviously she's an incredibly qualified woman, but I'll get back to why I'm talking about this in a minute. Uh, No other demographic voted as strongly for the Democratic ticket four years ago as did uh, Asian Americans, more than African Americans, more than uh, Latino voters. They just deliver for the Democratic Party. And to see a community that is typically first and second generation here in this country have somebody at the top of the ticket so well represented is just amazing. And I will also say this, people keep saying, well, why are you talking about race or gender or anything else? Because it's never happened before. We have never had a female vice president. Representation absolutely matters. It matters. It matters. It mattered when Sarah Palin was on the ticket with John McCain. It just did. It matters. And 
it mattered when Geraldine Ferraro was on the ticket and the way that she was treated. And I remember this so well because I was 11 at the time, but I was a little 11 year old who was really into politics for whatever reason. And I didn't understand that she was being treated unfairly because that's just the way it was. But I mean, all the nonsense, all the misogyny directed at her that now nobody would talk about women that way, but we're talked about, Geraldine Ferraro was talked about this way by mainstream press, not by people who you consider to be misogynist today, but of course, you know, she was just talked about, she had to account for her husband's misdeeds in ways that, that, that men never have to account for their wives. Um, in the same way that Hillary had to account for Bill Clinton in the way that, that male politicians never have to account for their wives. And you go on to Sarah Palin, who I have a lot of differences with, and, and I don't think was the sharpest knife in the drawer, but the misogyny that she was exposed to was awful. Um, and, and she was, and, and by a lot of progressives, but also by a lot of Republicans. And then, of course, you get to Hillary Clinton, which we don't need to belabor anymore. But if you call somebody a bitch, you're talking about a woman. And Hillary yep. was called that repeatedly. If you call somebody, just consistently, you know, Donald Trump keeps using the word nasty. He uses that towards women all the time. Or that she's angry, which is so redolent of the angry black man, the angry black woman. So I think for a lot of people in this country, we never talked about this, but your mom is, is Asian Indian, is she not? Yes, yeah, so I, my mom is half Indian. My grandfather was born in New Delhi. And and I have to say, it's also the experience of feeling racism. So my mom was, grew up in Brockton, Massachusetts. Oh, I didn't which, know that. I know Brockton. Yeah, which is, you know, the demographics. Oh, yes. And, and she, because my, my mom and her well, brother... Well, people with demographics? It's, it's very white. It's very white and it's working class. Very working class and very, yeah. very lower working right. class. And my mom and her brothers and sisters really faced a lot of racism. But now she brings that into her experiences, even as a commissioner. She's making sure she shows up and is there for this Black Lives Matter movement. And having felt firsthand a lot of these issues is is really important in in a leader and it brings a certain empathy that someone who's gone through it can bring can uniquely bring to the table and that's the problem the problem is that when people say well you should just judge her on her record it's about so much more than that Mm -hmm. i mean nothing and nobody has been more about identity politics ironically enough than donald trump right it's the white grievance party that the republican party has become what a message for little girls and what a message for little girls of color um whether they're asian girls or black girls or it doesn't matter little jewish girls latino girls i mean any any girl white girls for that matter we have never had you don't see yourself as a woman win on a national ticket right and I gotta tell you, I don't get sentimental about politics because I just work with too many politicians over, over the course of my life. So I don't, you know, I, I kind of discount a lot of a lot of what they say and do. But in 2008, when Barack Obama won, and I never, you know, there were a lot of people who really felt very strongly about Barack Obama and, and were like, he could do no wrong and then kind of thought he walked on water. I, I just don't feel that way about politicians generally because I, I just know them too well and they're kind of human beings. But um, I remember being 
I wasn't at Fox that night. Oh, because I was working for Senator Lautenberg. I was doing Senator Lautenberg's Frank Lautenberg of New Jersey. I was the consultant for his campaign. And so I decided to not be on TV that night. I decided to actually go to his headquarters that night. And I was there when they announced that Obama won. And there was a, there was a press riser. And for some reason, I was on the press riser. I think I was talking to a couple of reporters I knew. So I, I climbed up on the press riser. There was a huge TV that was on CNN or whatever channel it was on turn to. And they announced that Barack Obama won. And I started crying. I don't think I've ever cried on election night ever. I just don't get sentimental about it, right? It's a win. It's a job. You win, you lose, you move on, right? You know it's not going to be all wine and roses afterwards. But I actually started crying. I started crying not because a Democrat had finally won the White House after eight years of George Bush. I started crying because I just could not believe that this country with its history was able to elect, elect a black man. So I felt, you know, I felt bad about Kamala Harris because she represents something. She really does. She represents something for women. She represents something for women of color and not just women of color. She represents something for, for, for all women everywhere, whether they want to acknowledge it or not. And that's what Hillary Clinton represented to a lot of women. I, I, I truly, you know, if, she, if they don't win, my fear is that people will say, well, it's because, again, you put a woman on the ticket and therefore she lost. And I hope that's not the message we're going to send as a country. I hope it's not, because had we put a black man on the ticket and he had lost, it would have really, I feel, chilled the appetite for other black men and women to run. When Hillary lost her election, I think it, it sent a message to a lot of people that we have to play it safe. We can't nominate another women. We have to nominate, you know, Joe Biden. Uh, right. <laughs> and I, I just don't think that's true. I just don't. I have to believe this country is better than that. I have to believe this country stands for more than that. I have to believe that, that the American experiment is about more than that. Although we are one of the few nations in the Western world that, that have had a hard time electing women. I mean, Margaret Thatcher was prime minister when, 1979, I think she got elected, 1978. I mean, that was a long time ago. Um, Angela Merkel certainly been um, chancellor in Germany for a long time. Golda Meir. Golda Meir in Israel, that was in the 60s. I mean, talk about really long time ago, Indira Gandhi in India, Benazir um, Bhutto in Pakistan. I mean, think about that. <laughs> Countries like Pakistan right. elected a female prime minister, uh, and yet we, the United States, have not. Finland, I believe, has an all-female cabinet, including a prime minister who just got married, um, who's, I think, like 30 or 32, which is great. So it's, um, it, I, I just, for for many reasons, I hope they win, obviously, for many, many reasons, but I think there's a symbolic reason as well, and I think it's it, it will show the world and it will show Americans that you can have a woman and a woman of color ascend to the second highest office in the land and be prepared to, to in an emergency, ascend to the highest office in the land. That she's qualified and that the country believes that, that she can step up if she needs to. Two, two points. One, I'm excited for the debate between her and Pence. I think that will be something to behold because I think she will be very strong. So 
So the beauty of debates, somebody who's done debates, is you want to really want to temper expectations. Okay. Um, because if you think that she's going to wipe the floor with him, if he puts in even a middling performance, people are going to say, oh, she didn't wipe the floor with him. Okay. That's why I think Trump is making a massive mistake with Biden saying, I want to debate, I want four debates, I'm going to wipe the floor with him. Unless Joe Biden drools all over himself, he will already have won this debate. And he's not going to drool all over himself because he didn't do the first, you know, 10 debates that he did in the primary. Pence, it's, it's, inter- it's very interesting to see how Pence will handle a woman and how Pence will handle an aggressive woman. So I imagine if you're Kamala Harris and you're prepping Kamala Harris for a debate, which is very different from prepping Joe Biden for a debate against Donald Trump, uh, but I assume if you're prepping Kamala Harris for a debate, where do you even begin? Because you've been in this situation before. I, well, it's, it's, she's, it's interesting. I mean, I, I suspect she's going to want to discomfort him. As I, I don't know how she pronounced that word out loud, but she's going to make, want to make him uncomfortable by virtue of her gender. I mean, this is a man who's been very clear that he has a discomfort with being around women in a professional sense. I mean, this is a man who doesn't believe that he can be in a room with a woman alone, which only penalizes the woman because he's the vice president. So if you are a woman and you need a meeting with a vice president, you need a chaperone. I mean, uh, all of that stems from his religious conviction, I guess, but that's no way to do business when you think of women as a co-equal partner in life. It's unclear. I mean, Mike, the thing about Mike Pence is he he's he kind of has a good guy persona, right? Right. Typically, it's the president who's the good guy and the vice president who's the pit bull in debates. In this case, it's reversed. In this case, it's Donald Trump who's the pit bull and Mike Pence. Oh, you know, Mike Pence is a nice guy. And, but um, to make him so uncomfortable could be that thing that. Yeah, I mean, she listen. She's a former prosecutor. She's obviously very good in a courtroom. We've seen her. With Kavanaugh. We've seen her at Kavanaugh. We've seen her at hearings. Um, It's going to be interesting to see how she handles him, which is different from how they must be prepping Biden for any debate with Trump. Because I know I can tell you that having spoken to people in in Hillary world, there was some confusion as to how to prep her for a debate with Trump because the rules just don't apply. No. Right? Like typically when you do a debate, you do a whole book and you do potential lines of attack, it's very hard to do against somebody who doesn't play by the same rules. And I think the advantage for Biden that Hillary didn't have is we've seen three debates or two debates, however many debates he and Hillary had uh, four years ago. We've also seen four years of Trump. Right. He doesn't, his playbook doesn't vary. Once you figure out the playbook, you figure out the playbook. And I don't know. I mean, I have no idea what their strategy is, but it might just be to let Trump be Trump. Right. And just let him do it because the novelty's worn off, right? The circus act. <laughs> when you go to the circus and you see the person, you see the fire eater, the first time you're impressed, the second time you're like, wow, how would he do that? The third time you're like, hmm, interesting. I think I figured out how he did that. I've seen it before. And then by the fourth time you're like, I'm really bored. This, this, the novelty's worn off. And it's the same thing. It's a circus. I also wanted to ask you, the New York Times pointed out that Harris struggled to reconcile her calls for reform now when it comes to Black Lives Matter and police um, with her record on the same issues during her career in law enforcement. 
Do you think that will be something that will be difficult for her to overcome for the left? If somebody were rigid in their views today, then I would say to you, blame them for it. People do evolve. Obama did on LGBTQ issues. Sure. It's not easy being a former prosecutor these days as a politician. Whereas it used to be a, a badge of courage when you put away bad guys. Now it's become much more complicated. If you're on the left and you're not voting for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris because they're too moderate, then I just have no time for you. Because right. by sitting at home, you're effectively electing somebody who's much worse on your issues. So who's going to put every issue you stand for get, 10 yeah. steps back instead of get, one step forward You either two. get 85% of the loaf <laughs> or get zero, right? Like if you're starving, and somebody gives you, okay, let, let me see this. I hate liver. I hate pate. I hate anything to do with the organ liver. Everything about it makes me want to die. However, if somebody gave me liver, if I was starving and somebody gave me liver or a steaming pile of poop, I'd eat the liver, right? I just would. Right. Same thing here. Even if you don't like, and, and by the way, they're not liver. No. <laughs> they're, I don't know. Wonder Bread. I'm not really enamored of Wonder Bread. Right. But I'll eat it in a pinch. Exactly. Right? <laughs> so take the Wonder Bread. Yes. Or if you think they're that awful, take the liver. Because it's better than a steaming pile of poop. Or starving right. to death. Which is what's going to happen to you if you don't eat the liver. Right. Again, like, they may not push your agenda forward ten steps. But they will push it forward three. And it's better at the end of the day, I think, to have three steps forward than, again, 25 steps back. And don't be a Susan Sarandon. No. Don't be a Susan no, no. Sarandon because Susan Sarandon... Hard pass. Hard pass because Susan Sarandon can afford to ride out the Trump years because guess what? Susan Sarandon's doing just fine. She's a white woman with a lot of money. So right. you could afford to be that person. God bless. But if you really care about people who are not as advantaged as you, they can't take four more years of Donald Trump. And by the way, by the time he's done in four more years, you think there's going to be sort of free and fair election in this country? He's already doing everything he can to screw up the election. He's basically directing the attorney, the post office to not deliver mail-in ballots, which interestingly enough, he said he doesn't agree with that, but vote by mail is okay. His his ballot will sure as hell be going by mail or has been going by it mail. Like right. he voted in the primary in Florida while he was in Florida. Everybody's like, well, he lives in DC and he's a resident of Florida. No, no, he was in Florida on primary day. He could have gotten in his car and been driven to vote in person, but he didn't. He mailed it in. Kellyanne Conway voted by mail repeatedly. Uh, so did Kaylee McEnany. Right. So Jared Ivanka, I think if they're finally registered to vote, because the last time I checked, they couldn't vote for Donald Trump in 2016, because remember, they were registered as Democrats. They couldn't vote in the primary in New York. Um, <laughs> Which is funny. <laughs> I mean, listen, the hypocrisy is astounding. Right. The hypocrisy is astounding. Can we talk about the census for a second? Yes. Because this is my new big issue. So I don't know if people are aware of this. There's a decennial census every 10 years mandated by, by the constitution where you're supposed to count everybody. doesn't matter if they're here illegally, illegally. It doesn't matter if they are a 
three-legged emu, if they identify as human, you're supposed to count them. Yep. Because the census... So first, Trump tried to get the census to only count people who were here legally, um, i.e. citizens. The Supreme Court said you can't ask that question on the ballot. In order to penalize populated states, what he has effectively done is cut off the census through his through the Census Bureau, through the Department of Commerce, which oversees the Census Bureau, our old friend Wilbur Ross, um, who, of course, I think is too busy cashing in on his role as Secretary of Commerce to actually care about the census. Um, They are now cutting off the count for the census in September. It was gonna be October. The Census Bureau had actually asked Congress to push it back to next June to extend the census because of COVID. Because what happened is when you do the census, the way it works, this is boring, but it's really relevant. You are, everybody should have, every every household should have gotten a census form to fill out. And on the census form, census form it says, as of April 1 of 2020, who lives in this house? So um, in my case, I would have put the people as of April 1st who lived in this house and their age and their name. If I don't, and I could do go online and fill it out online, or I could just mail it back in, or I guess there's a phone number you can call in any number of languages to be able to fill it out over the phone or go online. Um, but typically what happens is statistically communities of color, but also notably rural voters don't do it in the same numbers as people who are not. So what you have are people called enumerators in, good, in normal years. Those are people that the Census Bureau hires to go door to door, knock on your door and say, hey, you haven't filled out the census yet. And that typically starts in, in the summer, like June, July, going door to door and saying, hey, you've got to fill out the census. Like, Emily, why haven't you filled out your census yet? It's the law, you have to fill it out. And They'll give you the census form and then you'll say, oh, okay, I have to fill it out. Either you fill it out and mail it in or you do it over the phone or you do it over the internet. Well, thanks to COVID, uh, you can't do any of that. So census workers have now just now started going out. They should have gone out under normals, a normal time frame. They would have been going out months ago. They just started going out in August um, and now they've cut off the census in September. You have to respond by the end of September. If you don't, you're not gonna be counted, which means there's gonna be a drastic undercount among communities of color and rural populations. Now, Donald Trump thinks that he's screwing places like New York and California, New Jersey, um, where you have a lot of communities of color, um, more diverse communities. But what these people don't get is they're also screwing, oh, I don't know, Texas, which has both a rural population and a really, big community of color population. Um, Florida. Florida. Which is right. crucial for right. Mr. Trump to win the election. Correct, but this doesn't really affect his election. What he is doing is he is giving a massive gift to the Republican Party for the next decade. This is probably the biggest gift he can give them aside from the federal judges that he and Mitch McConnell are pushing through. And Mitch McConnell is, again, complicit in this because the House passed an extension for the census to complete its count until June of next year. The Senate has refused to do that. So they have to complete it this year. But what's gonna happen is he's also said through an executive order that he is going to ensure that for purposes of congressional reapportionment, 
which is drawing congressional districts. And remember, there are 435 congressional districts, but only, it depends how they're allocated, they're allocated by population, um, that he is only going to submit counts of citizens of voting age. That's not legal. And there's gonna be court cases about this. But in the meantime, districts have to be drawn in the next year or two. And what that effectively means, and Congress, I have to say, Congress has not been banging the drum on this, and it is a mystery to me why the people who should be banging the drum on this, and Andrew Cuomo, good God, you are the chairman of the National Governors Association. Governors of both parties really need to be banging the drum on this because they stand to really lose a tremendous amount of federal funding if you don't have a complete count. I didn't know this. This is important for people to hear. This is really hear. important for people to know. Federal dollars that go back to the states are going to dry up. Because if you don't count people, that means you don't need, the state doesn't need as much money. So whether it's money for Medicare, or Medicaid, excuse me, um, whether it's for education, I mean, roads, they're gonna say, well, why do you need X number of dollars for roads? There's so many fewer people living in your state. You know that's not true. You know there are many more people traveling your roads, right. many more people attending your schools. And it's not, again, as much as Republicans wanna say, well, this is really gonna screw the blue states, it's also gonna screw red states. Because red states, believe it or not, also have a lot of undocumented immigrants. Um, again, Texas, Florida, for that matter, Arizona. But they also have a huge rural community. So it's going to screw people like the Dakotas. Like, I mean, it, it's just what they are doing is so antithetical to what the framers intended. And it just underscores, again, Donald Trump is Donald Trump. He only cares about winning. But Mitch McConnell, it just underscores that Mitch McConnell has no core priority other than to win. And he thinks as to the Republicans in the House, it really affects the House more than the Senate because of the congressional districts. Every state gets two senators, but House districts are apportioned by population. That this is going to deprive blue states of House seats and give red states more House seats. They're probably right. But it's also going to deprive those red states of much needed transportation dollars, education dollars, um, health care funding, uh, everything that the federal government gives money back to the states for. It's awful. And for the life of me, I don't see House Democrats. I believe this is in Carolyn Maloney of New York. Um, it is in her committee. Why she's not out there every day banging the drum of the, on this, I don't know. New York stands to lose one or two congressional seats if this is allowed to happen, which they shouldn't lose. Why Andrew Cuomo, coincidentally also of New York, as the chair of the National Governors Association is not doing this. Uh, Phil Murphy, the chair of the Democratic Governors Association is not doing this. I believe Greg Abbott of Texas is the chair of the Republican Governors Association. I think he still is. Texas is gonna be screwed. Greg Abbott should be all over this. They just, if it's not a soundbite, they don't care. And what I just described is fairly elaborate and it's fairly boring, but it really has real life consequences for a decade, not for a year or two, a decade. So let's say Trump loses in November, it doesn't matter. If Trump certifies these numbers before he leaves office, if Trump receives these numbers from the census by December 31st and he certifies them, those are the numbers. God bless. 
that's the census for the next 10 years. Now, Joe Biden, I guess, can practically reopen the census, extend the census. Very hard to do. Virtually impossible to do. So I don't know what Democrats and the Republicans and all these states that are affected by this. And again, it's a bipartisan problem in a lot of these big states, what they're sitting around thinking about. But they should be thinking about this. This is something to be salty about. This is That's, incredible. Listen, I am. I had no idea. My head is like, this is all I've been thinking about. I'm focused on both professionally and personally for the last X number of months. And I don't understand why more people are not focused on it. It's it, we only see the crisis before us. We never think long term. This is a long term, decade long problem decade-long problem and you can try to fight it in the supreme court you can try to get and you better hope john roberts is going to side with you but you really want to put your fate in the supreme court i don't know why they're not in federal court right now to get an injunction against the stopping of the census it just makes no sense to me is that what is making you salty this week it's <laughs> actually been making me salty this like, year <laughs> this year it's gonna make me salty for the next 10 years um it is making me salty and it's making me salty. Uh, this this enrages me and, it, and it's a problem that I am really just getting schooled oh, on it at this moment. I will be t- I'm sorry. No, this is great because again, I'm pretty up on the news having been working in the news and I don't, know, I did not know this. Because all people- It's a problem. Think, because all <laughs> people think about is partisanship. You know, you have Republicans saying, oh yeah, you know, this is great. New York's gonna lose a couple of congressional seats. This is great. Oh, okay. Yeah, guess who else is going to lose a ton of federal funding? And potentially congressional seats. Oh, I don't know, Texas? It's a big deal. And it's awful. And it's unacceptable. And I truly hope people wake up. So that's what's making me salty. What's making you salty? Well, Julie, Marion County, which is nuzzled in between Orlando and Jacksonville, its sheriff, Billy Woods, told his department that wearing masks is, quote, no longer up for discussion. Woods reportedly wrote that, effective immediately, any individual walking into any one of our lobbies, which includes the main office and all district offices, that is wearing a mask will be asked to remove it. Fun fact, according to the Star Banner, 43 sheriff's, sheriff's office employees, including several, several patrol officers and more than 200 inmates at the Marion County Jail, have tested positive for coronavirus. I don't even know what else to say. That's that should just be the obvious fact. Wear a mask. Is his a sensible reason for this that you look like a bank robber to wear a mask? You can't see your face. Well, he said in light of current events, when it comes to the sentiment and our hatred toward law enforcement in our country today, this is being done to ensure there is clear communication in for identify identification purposes of any individual walking into a lobby. I know. <laughs> Why does everybody wear face shields? Wear a clear Right, and they're, but and and isn't the job of the police to protect? How is not wearing a mask protecting? I'm missing something. It's the same reason that we are insisting. Not we. Some people are insisting (laughs) that children go back to the classroom and yet don't provide the funding to ensure that some of these classrooms are not effectively trailers. Right. 
one of my friends emailed me. They're like, after this story came out, they're like, don't you miss the Florida man? And I'm like, yes, I miss the, the Florida man. Well, the, he is the Florida man, but the Florida man is usually like a meth dealer who like jumped in an alligator's mouth to retrieve a golf ball, which is like not affecting anybody except that person. This is affecting a lot of people. Wait a second. You know, speaking of Florida man, um, you and I have been talking about the story out of New Jersey about sewer girl. This is, this is fantastic. Which, which we don't have time to get into today, but we'll definitely get into the story next week because it's a priceless story. But now that I think about it, isn't sewer woman basically, shouldn't she be in Florida? Absolutely. This, this is, story this is, is a woman, taken- real quickly, who um, was in a bad rainstorm and somehow found herself in her car going through a sewer, sucked down a sewer. This is, by the way, not a third world country. This is New Jersey. Um, and ended up, <laughs> it's not funny because it's actually, she's lucky to be alive, but ended up going through a sewer, um, somehow was able to climb out of her car while she was going 30 miles an hour down this sewer, ended up being channeled out of the sewer into the Passaic River. This is in the middle of a massive storm. Claimed she couldn't swim and therefore just floated her way to the nearest bank and ended up on some guy's lawn. Lucky to be alive. Car is destroyed. She's alive somehow miraculously. I read that story and I was like, this should be in Florida. This is exactly what Florida woman slash man is. It would just be another Monday in Florida. I know, right? <laughs> like, this doesn't happen anywhere but Florida. No. This is a very surprising story. I know, it's a surprising story for a number of reasons, not the least of which is it didn't take place in Florida. Right. Um, well, anyway, we're lucky she's alive and, um, we're happy she's alive. She really should have taken this to Florida. We'll be doing a deep dive next week. We'll be doing a deep dive on, on Sewer Girl. On, on Sewer Woman. We don't sewer Woman. Her as a yes. Girl. She's a broom woman, apparently. Um, but, uh, but yes, one of the reactions I had to the story and my friend Ben, who I know you know, was one of the people I called when I read the story in the paper because I just couldn't believe it. In fact, I'm going to add the story of, of sewer woman to when we post this this podcast so people can know what we're talking about so they understand the, the weirdness of the story but when i called ben um he was actually the one that said this is like a florida man story <laughs> and he's not from florida like you he's like, this doesn't happen on the east coast and the north in the northeast this happens in florida i think that was the most jarring thing for me when i heard it i'm like are you sure that this is jersey i know the Passaic river more not, like, yeah. Well, what's the big river? And not Lake Okeechobee yeah, or something. Yeah, like Lake Okeechobee story. But Lake <laughs> yeah. Okeechobee's a lake. It doesn't flow as fast as the Passaic River. Well, we wish her well. We wish, we wish her well. <laughs> and on that note, I'm going to continue eating tiramisu and drinking Julie's Johnny Walker. All right. Have a great weekend. Have a great week, everybody. <laughs>